Well, the elders and the staff are at a retreat this uh, weekend planning for the coming year, so you get the switch hitter or the pinch hitter or something, anyhow. Uh, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to begin at chapter 2, verse 14, and read through chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Will you stand as we read from God's Word? But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I give you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you were not able, for you were still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither is the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, God's building." You may be seated. I'm going to begin this morning by asking a question. I ask you to be honest with yourselves as you answer this question. The question is, how spiritually mature do you think you are? If you had to grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being low and 10 being extremely mature as a Christian... Where would you rank yourself? And don't hold up fingers, I don't want to know. But uh, uh, the question is, how spiritually mature am I? Second of all, are you concerned about it? God is. And as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to take a look at the fact that a lot of times people think they're a whole lot more mature than they really are. That was certainly true of the Corinthians. Many of the people in Corinth... uh, uh, thought that they were really something. They'd been Christians for a number of years, and they believed that they were pretty mature. In fact, they were arrogantly so. We'll see as chapters progress. The Corinthians thought that they were spiritual giants, but God thought of them as spiritual babies, if you will, spiritual thumbsuckers still in diapers. Um, I wonder if that could be true of any of us, and we're going to look at that this morning. Our passage this morning should help us to determine where we are, what our spiritual level of maturity is. But more than that, it should help us and help each of us to see how can I go from where I am to what God wants me to be. Last week, Ben spoke on the natural man, the unsaved man, in contrast to the spiritually mature Christian. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. 
What he said last week is basically that regardless of his IQ, the natural man, the unsaved person, can't understand the things of the Spirit of God because the unsaved man is spiritually dead and does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, it says that all of us were born spiritually dead. We see that uh, Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again. Um, Dead people don't judge music contests. Dead people can't evaluate the qualities of a piece of art. And likewise, those who are spiritually dead, the passage says, cannot discern spiritual truth. They need to be born again. In contrast to this, in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we see that the spiritual Christian is the spiritual person is the mature Christian, and he is able to evaluate his life and all of life by the truths of God's word and the power of God's spirit. And so he's contrasted the natural man, the unsaved person who may be very intelligent in IQ, but who cannot understand or at least cannot interact with or personalize the things of the spirit of God with the mature Christian who God has given the ability to to understand his word. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul tells the, the Corinthians, though you've been saved, I can't speak to you as spiritual men. I can't talk to you as mature Christians because the way your life is being lived out is more like the unsaved. You're more like the natural man. And so we come now to chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, the word spiritual here is being used in two ways. MacArthur says that the term spiritual is used in two ways in chapter 14 and then uh, chapter 2, verse 14, and chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, It's used, first of all, of our position in Christ. Your position in Christ as a mature Christian is perfect. However, you're not acting like it. It's much like sanctification. Positionally, we're holy because we've trusted Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We stand perfectly holy before God. And yet the Bible says you and I need to grow in holiness. We need to be sanctified. We're positionally sanctified. Now in our practice in life, he says start living like it. And this is kind of the way spiritual maturity is used here. In chapter 3, spiritual maturity refers to their lifestyles, their practices. And he said, I couldn't speak to you as spiritually mature people because of the way that you're living. Um, They were acting as if they weren't saved. Now, as we look at the various categories of people, we're going to see various categories of Christians. The first of all, we, uh, we look at the spiritually mature The spiritually mature, we see in chapter 2, verse 15, are those who have spiritual discernment. He says there, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. Mature Christians, if you are a mature Christian, uh, you have the ability to appraise life and to see life and the things that are going on in life, in your life and the world around you, from God's perspective. Uh, You've been born again spiritually. Uh, You have the indwelling Holy Spirit to illumine his word to you. And uh, you're able to see things and evaluate things from God's perspective. In chapter 2, verse 16, it says the mature Christians have the mind of Christ. Now, we have the mind of Christ in a number of ways. First of all, we have the mind of Christ in written form in the Scriptures. Second of all, because the Christian has the indwelling Holy Spirit, 
the indwelling Holy Spirit illumines us to understanding at a personal level the Word of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need to study the Bible. Uh, it's not kind of, I'm going to sit here and let God illumine me to life. Uh, in fact, it says, study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't need teachers or pastors. In Ephesians chapter four, it says that uh, God has given us pastors and teachers that we no longer be uh, tossed here and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the deceitful cunning of men. And so God has given us teachers, but his word, his, his spirit illumines his word and his message to us personally so that we understand it, we respond to it in a positive way. And so um, he says in chapter 3, verse 2, he said, uh, I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. A mature Christian from this is one who... Uh, is not one who has to stay on milk. A mature Christian is one who can handle solid spiritual food. Uh, the difference between milk and spiritual meat uh, has to do with the depth of the teaching. For instance, as a new Christian, I understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. As I continued to grow in my understanding, I began to understand and I began to appreciate and be grateful for teachings in the Bible on the nature of regeneration and justification being declared right with God and, and His merciful substitution in my place and, and the whole sense of propitiation that God is truly satisfied with what Jesus did for me and the process of sanctification, who I am and what He's making me to be and ultimately where I will be. I began to appreciate, though I don't understand it, the whole part of my salvation which involves the glorification. Um, uh, and uh, the more you grow in Christ, the more you understand these things and the more you begin to appreciate them and the more you, you thank God for what He's done and the more you respond to God and the more personal it becomes. And that's what he's talking about, the difference between an elementary understanding and a deeper understanding as you grow in your relationship with Christ. Um, so if you consider yourself this morning somewhere in the 8 to 10 category as that mature Christian, and, um, I don't know there anybody, don't raise your hands, but uh, if you consider yourself a mature Christian, and many of you are, uh, there are certain things uh, that you need to do. First of all, if you think that you are a mature Christian, continue growing and yielding to the Word of God in your life. Um, it's not an end-all thing. I have arrived. If you're a mature Christian, you need to continue to grow. And the Apostle Paul said that to the Philippian Christians, and they were a mature group of Christians. In Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 9, he says, But this I pray, that your love may still abound still more and more. He says, continue growing in love. That is that unselfishness, that, that love for God and that love for others in a very practical way. And he says, still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we continue to grow, we continue to 
to become less like infants. How many of you have had a, an infant in your home? Most of us, right? What do you know about children, little babies? I hate to say this to you young mothers. If you haven't found out yet, babies are selfish. They want what they want, when they want it, and you'd better make sure they get it or they're going to let you know they're unhappy. And uh, as those children grow, they become more mature. They become more thoughtful. And one of the things I just praise God for in our adult children is how thoughtful they are. They're stepping beyond themselves. They've grown in not only in knowledge and wisdom and discernment, but they've grown in in their ability to see beyond themselves, their ability to care for those beyond themselves. Uh, and, and that should be true in our spiritual lives, that as we, as we uh, mature, we should continue growing and growing in love and its discernment and in the fruits of righteousness. So if you're a mature Christian, fantastic. Keep growing. Uh, in addition to that, uh, if you're a mature Christian, the Bible says that you and I have a responsibility to minister to others. You know, retirement, a lot of us are about retirement age. I've passed it a number of years ago. Uh, I tell people, don't look at the hair. It, it happened to stay good, but uh, the inside is worn out. Uh, don't buy the machine. The motor's worn out. But anyhow, uh, the Bible says that those who have grown shouldn't simply sit and soak and simply look for pleasure until we go to heaven. The Bible says that those who are mature, uh, spiritually as well as uh, age-wise, should minister to others. We have a responsibility to get out of ourselves. Life isn't about us. If we're mature, we need to reach out to others. To the Galatians, the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 6, Brethren, Even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ, the law of Christ being the law of love. And so as an older Christian, as one who's grown and matured in the faith, if there's another brother or another sister who's struggling in the Christian life, come alongside them, encourage them. Restore them. Uh, lovingly bear their burdens. Pray with them. Care for them. The younger Christians, younger Christians don't need to be criticized. They need to be loved. They need to be accepted. They need to be encouraged. They need to be guided. They need to be instructed. And sometimes they need to be lovingly confronted. And so if you consider yourself a mature Christian, continue to grow. Don't just kind of stop. Now I've come to that place. I'm just waiting to go to heaven. Continue to grow. And not only continue to grow, reach out and minister to others. Um, If you're not applying God's word to your life, at this stage of your life, you're not spiritually mature, no matter how long you've been a Christian and how much you think you may know. In fact, the Corinthians knew a lot of doctrine. In fact, they knew so much doctrine that they were very proud of themselves. And we're going to see in coming chapters that the problem is they knew a lot and they were arrogant about what they knew, but they weren't applying what they knew. So though they thought they were mature because they collected all this knowledge, they were still spiritual thumbsuckers. 
and we don't want to be there. Maturity isn't directly related to how much you know. Maturity is related on how you're applying what you know to your life and to your walk with God. Uh, That was the problem in Corinth. And so in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, Paul addresses them as those who are fleshly. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1 again. And I, brethren, could not speak you to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He says that they were behaving like fleshly men. That is, even though he he indicates that they were Christians, he calls them brethren here in verse 1. He calls them infants in Christ. He doesn't call them unsaved people. He, they've been born again into the family of God. But they were still allowing their sinful desires to control their lives. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They were prideful. They were still living too much like the unsaved world. And that's sad. In fact, he says they were behaving like spiritual infants, verse, verse 1. He said that you were still having too many dirty diapers, if I can use the analogy. Their Christian life was not what it should be. Now, we all start off as Christians, as infants in Christ. There's nothing wrong with a new baby, right? We all like new babies. And and fantastic, there's a delight when someone's born. And there's a delight when someone's born again. And we love it, and, and, and there's a lot of things that God wants to do in their lives. But just like children who don't grow, it's fine. We don't mind changing diapers, and God doesn't mind changing our spiritual diapers when we're infants. But it's a pretty sad thing if we're, we're 20 years old and still sucking on a bottle and having dirty diapers. And that's what was happening here at Corinth. They should have known better. They should have done better, but they weren't. Now, new Christians need encouragement, just like a baby. Uh, they are characterized by spiritual weakness. This is all new to them. They're learning to walk in their new faith and their new lives. They're learning to put off the old life and to put on the new life. They're struggling to walk consistently by the Spirit. They have a tendency to, uh, to be tossed here and, here and there by every wind of doctrine and to, to be misled. And uh, we need to be there for them. We need to care for them. When Paul had previously been with them, he'd given them milk to drink. He'd focused on the basics of the Christian life. And there's nothing wrong with spiritual milk. Peter says, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow by it. He addressed that to the newborn babes. So if you're a new Christian, and and I hope that we have several new Christians here this morning. Number one, consistently spend time in God's word. As we said, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to your salvation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be mature, thoroughly furnished for every good work. And so, as an, if you're a new Christian, spend time in God's Word. Uh, prayerfully read your Bible daily. Ask God to help you to understand and apply what you learn. The goal isn't simply just to collect information. The goal is to help you to grow in your relationship with God and to understand Him better and to understand life better so that you might 
relate and live in a way that's pleasing to him. Um, Get involved in a small group Bible study. Uh, As a new Christian, we need wisdom. We need the encouragement of other Christians. And so uh, it's important that we be around others who are a little farther along in the faith. I have a a couple that uh, they were uh, young marriage in college at the same time Diane and I were, but they'd been Christians longer than we had. We were brand new Christians. And Jim and Sherry, we just thought that they were, you know, really spiritually mature. And because they'd been Christians for a while and, and they prayed before their meals and they prayed before they went on a, on a trip. And they, they, they had Bible verses in their house. We thought they were really spiritually mature. Well, we still get together with Jim and Sherry and we laugh about it. They said, oh, if you'd only known. But you know what? Compared to us, they were mature. By the grace of God, they've grown and we've grown over the years. And we just praise God for that. So um, we all need other Christians to encourage us. Second of all, we need to be applying what we have learned. Apply what you've learned. There's nothing wrong with being a baby, but we need to grow. The problem with the Corinthians wasn't that they didn't know. They had great teachers. They had the Apostle Paul, the theologian's theologian, but also the evangelist. They had Apollos, who was who was a real expositor. He was... he. He was a dynamic speaker. They had had these various spiritual leaders. They had no reason for not knowing. They had collected a lot of information. And they were pretty proud of the information that they had. But they had a problem. They hadn't grown because they had not applied it. They were much like the Hebrew Christians in Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, this group of Hebrew Christians is being reprimanded. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracle of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He says, you've been Christians long enough that you should be out here being the teachers. But very frankly, he's going to say in a minute, because of your lifestyle, because of you're not applying what you've learned, you need to go back to the ABCs. You need to start all over again. You think you're mature, but frankly, you're not. Let's go on here. Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature. Who, and look at this, because of practice, 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 have their senses trained to discern good and evil. What did they not do? They did not put into practice the things that they had learned. And that's a real danger. Uh, I think a lot of us have a tendency to go into uh, spiritual adolescence. We learn a lot more than we actually apply early on. And we tend to become know-it-alls, and we tend to know more than our teachers. I did. And boy, we can argue and debate theology with the best of them. We're not living any of it, or very little of it. And uh, that was the problem they had here. They weren't spiritually mature. Uh, They hadn't put into practice what they needed. James, it says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You measure your spiritual life not by the amount of information you've collected, but the amount of information that's made its way into your life and how you've grown in your behavior. We see in verse 
3 and 4, they were behaving like mere men. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? He says, you're acting like the unsaved. That's what the mere men. He said earlier that they were fleshly. They were characterized by the flesh, the sinful nature. And that was working itself out. In Galatians, it talks about what this fleshly behavior is like, starting in verse 19. It says, but the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. As we go through 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that the Corinthians manifested most, if not all, of these things in different, in different corners of the church. And this is a sad thing. They thought they were spiritually mature, but frankly, they weren't. They lived in the same way that the unsaved do. They had the same values, the same lifestyles, the same goals in life. They may have said, I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and they may have been born again. And many, if not most of them were. But they hadn't progressed beyond that. It's sometimes hard to tell the difference between a fleshly Christian and the unsaved world. Immature Christians, and you can evaluate yourself here, immature Christians do what they want to do. They allow their desires and their feelings to rule their lives. Their lives are all about them and not about others. In fact, in our passage this morning, we see at least three works of the flesh being lived out in verses 3 and 4. It says they were manifesting jealousy, they were manifesting strife, and there were factions. Let me, let me meddle just a little bit here, okay? I'm going to... And then I'll have to flee after the service. But anyhow, (laughs) we see it today. I'm a MacArthur. I'm a Keller. I'm a Piper. Or for those who are really spiritual, I'm a Calvin. But anyhow, uh, these are all good men. These are all good men. God has used every one of them. But we tend to carry the flag of the celebrity preacher that we favor and somehow think that our status is elevated because I'm a follower of a particular individual. What he's saying here, that's the way the unsaved do. You see, that's not the way it should be. When you act like you're you're acting like mere men. But notice Paul's humility in verses 5 to 9. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither is the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, God's building. What Paul is saying here is that the teachers, he and Apollos, weren't competitors. They were fellow workers in God's field. There's no place for competition within Christ's church because we're all fellow workers in God's field. 
Paul and Apollos, uh, Peter, for that matter, were not competing with one another to get who, see who could gain the biggest following, or for people to say, I'm of Peter, or I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos. Uh, they weren't seeking this type of following, but people were, were giving them that type of following. Uh, there's no place for, for us to set up our favorite teachers as if they were the standard of truth and spirituality. All of these men had something to offer. God had given them their ministries. God had given them their gifts. God had empowered them to serve. In fact, I have a little chart up here. Uh, as we look at this passage, it says, Paul and Apollos were laborers. God is the master who assigned the tasks. Paul planted, Apollos watered. It was God who gives the growth. You know, if you plant a garden, and many of us will be here shortly, when you plant a garden, all we do, all I can do is put that stupid seed in the ground and make sure the sprinkler system comes on regularly through the summer. I can't cause that seed to germinate. I can't cause that seed to sprout to sprout and, and to put out uh, roots. I can't cause that, that seedling to grow up and, and, and to blossom and to bear fruit. I have no ability to do anything. Off here. There we go. Uh, I didn't create that seed. There's nothing I can do. All I do is put it in the ground. Put a little water to it. And what he is saying is the same thing is true in the church. God is, provides the growth. What do we do? All we do is some plant it, some water it. But who's the one that deserves the credit? God, who created the seed and programmed it to grow and enabled it to bear fruit and brought it through the entire process. We're just fellow workers in God's field. The planter and the irrigator are nothing. But God is everything. The planter and the irrigator are equal. And God will reward both of them. What he is saying here, at Corinth they were arguing about who their favorite teacher is. My teacher is smarter than your teacher. It's kind of like my dad can beat your dad up. Uh, same kind of stupid stuff. Well, my, my teacher is smarter than your teacher. And because I follow teacher A, that means I'm smarter than you are. Don't we do that? We have a tendency to identify with some group and say, hey, that gives me status. That makes me important. And that's what they were doing. The emphasis must be on God, not the laborers. In God's church throughout history, and we'll get to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, God gives different people different gifts. God gives them their ministries. But not only does God give them their gifts and God gives their, their ministry, God empowers those ministries. And it is God who causes the crop to grow. It's not the individuals. And I've lived long enough to see that some of the most, uh, how do I put it? Just because a church grows or a ministry grows doesn't mean the person in charge is a godly person. God chooses which, to cause growth wherever he wants it to grow. Not necessarily with the most godly and not necessarily with the brightest. 
God is the one who gives the increase. I've seen some godly, 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 intelligent, academically intelligent, small-town pastors doing a faithful job for years. And I know some guys who have very large ministries. Who don't treat their wives very well. Whose families are falling apart. Who can't control their tempers. Whose motivations are questionable. And we're finding some of them are involved in relationships with women they shouldn't be. And yet they have huge ministries. God can use Balaam's donkey. God even used Balaam. So we don't evaluate a ministry by how much it grows. We let God worry about the evaluation. God gave the, the gifts. God empowers the ministry. God produces the fruit. So what Paul is doing here is saying, hey, let's debunk this whole thing of, of venerating spiritual leaders. Let's give credit where credit due, and that is to God. So this morning, I'm not going to ask how many of us honestly evaluated ourselves. I doubt if very many evaluate ourselves as fleshly Christians. But if we're not applying what we know, and if the, thing, the fruit of the Spirit does not characterize our love, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the goodness, the meekness, the self-control, if we're not loving God and loving others, if life is all about us, then there's some lessons here for the fleshly Christian. First of all, the Bible says to fleshly Christians, we need to repent. We need to repent. First John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We can go into denial or blame others. But if we confess our sins, acknowledge them. Tell God, God, sadly, this is who and what I've been, this is what I'm acting like, this is what I've done. God, I confess it to you, and I want to turn this area of my life over to you, and I want you to work in me to bring about change. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or Proverbs 28:13, he who covers his sin will not prosper. Not in God's terms of prosperity. But he who confesses it and forsakes it will find mercy. So if you tend to be a fleshly Christian, it begins with honestly dealing with yourself and with your sin. Confessing it and forsaking it. If you're a fleshly Christian, you need to apply what you know. That was a problem with the Hebrew Christians. It's a problem with the Corinthians. They knew a lot. They were applying little. And we need to take those things. When you go to the Word, it's not simply to win a theological debate. When you go in the Word, it's not simply to straighten somebody else out. Hopefully you're in the Word every morning with God. And it's there letting God straighten you out. Letting God expand your understanding of Him so that you come to appreciate your salvation. You begin to appreciate Him more. You begin to understand what He's doing in your life when things aren't going the way you want to, but you can understand how He works. 
fleshly Christians are in danger of God's discipline. God does discipline those who are genuine Christians who are acting in a fleshly manner. Hebrews 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. In other words, if you're part of God's family, God will dispense spiritual spankings. That's what it's saying. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. He goes on and says, If you're not receiving God's discipline, then you need to examine if you're really of the faith. Because all who are God's children, part of his loving guidance includes redirecting us through discipline and getting our attention. And so if you're a fleshly Christian, you're in danger of God's discipline. But even more, Fleshly Christians need to examine themselves to see if they're truly of the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Paul is going to come in 2 Corinthians and tell these Corinthians, you know, you may not even be saved. And you need to examine yourself to see that you're truly of the faith. You're certainly not living like it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? Here's a group of people standing at the judgment. They're saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Man, put super Christian on me. And Jesus said, and I will say unto him that day, depart from me, ye accursed, for I never knew you. He doesn't say, I'm rejecting you now. He says, I never knew you. You went through all this religious activity, even using my name. But he said, I never knew you. You never were a part of my family. In 1 John, it says that uh, genuine faith should manifest itself in three things. And he repeats these over and over in the book, 1 John. Truth, God's truth, righteousness, and love. He said, measure yourself, 1 John, over and over. Measure yourself by truth. Is what you believe and what you're doing consistent with God's worth, truth, righteousness? Am I applying it and living a godly life? And love, love for God and love for others. There's life all about me. Those are examinations when you examine to see if we're truly of the faith. So what have we seen today? God wants you and me to grow. God wants a mature relationship with us. He doesn't want us being 20-year-old Christians still dirtying our diapers consistently and sucking our thumbs. God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He doesn't want us sitting over in the corner throwing temper tantrums and crying until we get attention. God wants us to have a mature relationship with us. I delight in my kids now. Boy, there was a time when we had more than our share of dirty diapers. And I, you know, eight kids, uh, they pile up. But anyhow, uh, a, lot of, a lot of caring for bratty kids. Yours were too, so don't look at me like that. Okay? <laughs> it is so delightful to have a mature relationship with them. I have two sons that I talk to regularly. I don't think of them as my sons anymore. I think of them as my peers. When they talk, I listen. I I delight in the wisdom. I delight in the insight. I, I delight in the biblical perspective. 
of those two sons. And I got a third one coming along that I'm just delighting in. And I got a daughter that she calls us, what, at least four times a week, Diane? And it's just a delight to see how God has, has brought wisdom and maturity. And we've got a great relationship. You know, I'm glad that they're still not infants. It was cute when they were. But a mature relationship brings delight to my soul. And that's what God wants with you. God wants a mature relationship. He wants, he wants that closeness. It says, God's, what are the two greatest commandments? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. God wants that relationship with you. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. Maturity is growing to get beyond self and growing in our love for God and for others. So what have we seen today? First of all, God wants us to grow. If you're a mature Christian, keep on growing. Minister to others. Are you a new Christian? Get consistently into the milk of God's Word. Be around other Christians who can help you grow. Walk in humble submission and conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Respond in faith and prayer when you come up with difficult trials. Are you a fleshly Christian? Is your life not really characteristic of what it should be? Repent. Confess. Forsake. Start taking one bite at a time and applying what you learn. Or as Hebrews says, press on to maturity. Or maybe you need to begin by examining to see that you are truly saved. You need to come and say, Lord, I acknowledge my sin. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Yes, I want you as my Lord and Savior. I'm turning from my sin and self to you as my Lord and Savior. I want to be born into your family. Shall we pray? Father, every one of us here this morning is somewhere within that growth spectrum. Father, I thank you that you've been gracious and good to us. I pray, Father, that your word would penetrate each heart today, that you would take us through your word from where we are to the next step of where you would have us to be. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess we're going to sing now, and then we'll have communion. That's what I was going to do. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Turn with me, if you will, into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As this ties it all together. He's talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that... Uh, uh, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he's betrayed took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But look at verses 27, and this is a time where we can, 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 can apply the message. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and eats, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. What's he saying to the Corinthians? He says, before you partake of this, you need to sit down and look inside. You need to examine yourself. And he says, examine yourself, judge yourself. By judging, it means evaluating. And he's saying if there's a need to confess something, if there's need to come to grips with something in your life before God, be sure and do it before you partake because you make a mockery of this. And what's more, God will discipline. He says, for this reason, a number among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That means God had to discipline some in Corinth because they were not taking him seriously. So let's just take a moment to examine our own hearts. If there's a sin that needs to be confessed quietly in the privacy of your own heart, confess it to God. If there's something that you need to deal with that you've been ignoring, say, Lord, I want to start dealing with this. None of us are perfect. All of us have failures and faults and things in our lives. But if there's something there right now, let's take a moment to quietly bow our heads and talk to God.